Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight bringing you a great episode here as we talk about this weekend at Daytona International Speedway. There was three major events, the ARCA Racing Series, Lucas Oil 200 at Daytona International Speedway, won by Michael Self out of Venery Motorsports, a race that felt like it was never going to end. And finally it did. We'll discuss that whole fiasco a little bit later on in the show. But the Cup Series was also there this weekend. Uh, they had Qualifying for the Daytona 500, the 60th Daytona 500, with Alex Bowman, who is driving the 88 car for Dale Earnhardt Jr. here in 2018. He took the pole today for the 60th Daytona 500, and then you had the Advanced Auto Parts Clash shortly after. That was won and dominated pretty much by Brad Keselowski. A lot of interesting stuff we saw today. Um, You know, they got single file as well in the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. Will that be a precursor to what we see in the 60th Daytona 500. We'll we'll discuss that also. What does qualifying mean for the Daytona 500? If anything, we'll talk about it all, and we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 here. But first, I want to discuss what we got going on here in circles, where let's talk about what happened, the first thing that happened today, which was Daytona 500 qualifying. You look at the results, Bowman took the pole. Uh, he won in, in the second round of qualifying. He was faster than anybody. He was over a, a tenth of a second faster than Denny Hamlin, who was second fastest. Then it's Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and Paul Menard rounded out the top 12 today at Daytona International Speedway. John, any surprises on your side of here as far as what you saw or Daytona 500 qualifying today. I was surprised Truex was so far back qualifying 26th. I was surprised Larson and McMurray were 22nd and 23rd. Um, Brad Keselowski, 19th. Kurt Busch in the 17th spot. I mean, those are some hot shoes you expect to be up toward the front. And, They're mid-pack. They're going to start mid-pack in their duel on Thursday night. But, I mean, as Daytona runs, anything can happen. I mean, you saw in the clash, which we'll talk about later, you can start rear-end Charlie and win the race. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened, obviously, with the clash. But, you know, I I think we look too much into qualifying, um, especially this year. You know, with no no ride-height rule, They've really changed the handling of these race cars. A lot of the drivers have been saying that, um, you know, the handling has really changed. It's not – it's a completely different setup than what we've had seen here in the past. You can even tell by the ride height rule. But I'll tell you two teams I was really interested – two teams I was really kind of surprised to see the, the lack of speed here at Daytona. Just because everywhere we went to, including Daytona last year, we saw speed from them. That's Chip Ganassi racing. And then you had Martin Truex Jr. as well. Um, there as well. So, you know, I think when you look at that, those two are teams that I look at and I say, hey, you know what? They really um, 
struggle today. Truex in 26th. I mean, that's he was the slowest Toyota TRD team by far today. Colt Hearn and um, that furniture racing team. Colt Hearn looked like he was scratching his head all weekend. Truex kept saying, we don't have any speed all weekend. A little bit scary there as well. Kyle Larson, he, he wasn't very fast. He was okay what we saw in the uh, Advanced Auto Parts Clash, but he had some handling problems in that race, too, so we'll t- touch on that a little bit later as well. But Jim McMurray, 23rd, 22nd for Kyle Larson. Not, I- I'm just surprised because the last two years we've really seen those two teams really have, have a stranglehold as far as speed is concerned on the entire sport. And it's not that they just came out and, and were mediocre. They came out and really, really uh, were in the back half of the field. And that, that's a little alarming if, if you're both of those race teams. Yeah, you think about it, Truex, uh, 191, um, 191.481 was his qualifying time. And you look at the poll of uh, Alex Bowman at 195.644. That's four mile an hour slower than Bowman was with his pole speed. And I don't remember a race last year where Truex wasn't even, I mean, Truex was in the equation every week last year. In qualifying today, Truex wasn't even uh, thought of because I mean so far back same with uh, the Ganassi team I don't know what it was today I mean I think the ride high rule is messing with some people um, I think there's some handling issues that people weren't expecting I mean Daytona has been about 10 years now since the repave so instead of just going out there put your foot on the floor like you do at Talladega it's starting to show up and it's um, handling is taking part yeah it is and and you know, that's something I like to see. I like to see a little bit of a change where, you know, you, you kind of see different names up on, on up in the score, scoring pylon. Um, but, you know, qualifying a little bit more lackluster today because nobody's going home. Uh, you know, there's only two, te- two drivers that really failed to make time. One of the interesting parts was uh, Greg Golding. The 23-car BK Racing did not get through inspection today, did not make a qualifying lap. So that's a little alarming for them. For sure, but, you know, you have to wonder what their strategy is here. They have a charter. Um, they didn't make a qualifying lap today. They could essentially go into Thursday's race and really start and park if they have to, if they feel like that's necessary to do. Um, hey, you know, it's that's strategy for them. They don't have a sponsor on that car. They've been in a lot of legal trouble. But with the charter, they're guaranteed in the field, so they really don't have to race anything. Um, this is the first time NASCAR's in this situation, and it's kind of a black eye here for Speed Weeks. But it's a major black eye. It's something that when you see it, you immediately notice it. So uh, Greg Golding didn't make a lap today. David Reagan didn't make a lap today. But Reagan had that it had his brakes lock up on him in the 38 car. Um, but the 23 didn't even ma- make an attempt. You know, they, they had their car a cover on their car uh, about 10 minutes before qualifying even started because they failed to go through inspection for the first time. So a little alarming there on that 23. Um, BK Racing Toyota and what their plans are going to be here as Speed Weeks continue. Well, we've we've been saying for weeks that the BK BK Racing organization is just a uh, a mess waiting to be figured out by the court system. I mean, Ron Devine owns owes the bank more than eight million dollars. The bank thinks the char- the charters are part of the collateral that he put up on it, and if he doesn't race, the charter's useless. So I don't know what the bank. I mean, the bank's going to say you you must get the car out there. Because if if he doesn't run it, that charter's gone. You have to make an attempt, or you lose your charter. And they're not; they have to make an attempt. They didn't even announce Greg Golding in the car until what Wednesday, Thursday this week. 
I mean, I remember when the preliminary entry list came out with all 40 names, it had the 20 team for whoever was. So, I mean, there's a 99% chance it's going to be a start in park. Um, just so they can say they ran it, they got the charter still legit because they go back to court later in the week. I mean, I think they're scheduled to go back the day of the duels. So it could end up being that Ron Devine isn't part of BK Racing. Somebody else might be running in as a caretaker on behalf of the uh, bank. So we'll see what happens with that. I think it's a uh, a mess that still needs to be uh, sorted out, and it's going to take a long way to do it. Yeah, I'll tell you this. You know, you have Alex Bowman, who's on the pole for the 500. And, uh, you know, we talked about Denny Hamlin. We talk about the, the new rules for Daytona this year, the, uh, the single-engine rule. Um, you know, first of all, cool to see Bowman on the pole. Um, you know, the conspiracy theorists are going to be out, no doubt about it, because it's Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s old ride. But here's what Bowman had to say about sitting on the pole for the Great American Race. I'm just lucky enough to be able to uh, hold the steering wheel on one of Mr. H's race cars. So, uh, very thankful for, for that opportunity. And the car's been fast since we unloaded. Um, got a good launch off pit road, hit my shifts right, and everything was good. Uh, Greg came over the radio in a really depressing voice and was like, you ran a 46 flat. What are your temps? I'm like, Greg, where is that? He's like, P1. Like, oh, okay, cool. That was Alex Bowman, who sitting on his first square Daytona 500 pole as he beat out Denny Hamlin for that poll, and he's talking about his crew chief, Greg Ives, there. But I'll tell you what the most interesting part about this is how they're going to approach the rest of this weekend because now you know you're starting on the on the pole. You don't want to go to a backup car. Uh, it makes, you know, the pole sitter and the outside pole sitter always are kind of on a little bit of scratch in your head a little bit as far as the duels are concerned. But with the new ride height rules and with how unstable these cars looked in the advanced auto parts clash today, what are your thoughts on Alex Bowman? You also have the single engine rule where these teams, uh, you know, these teams you look at and you say, hey, where in the world, um, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do about uh, qualifying? What are we going to do about the duels? What are we going to, are we going to, how are we going to handle these races? I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. I think what's interesting is, remember, when we do it before they would, they, everybody, the track basically was shut down Monday and Tuesday. They come back and they would have uh, practice for the duels on Wednesday where they'd be able to shake out the car, uh, get a few laps in it, do a little drafting practice. And then they would run the duels on uh, Thursday night. There's no practice. The cars are impounded. They get what? 20 minutes to play with the car, make a few adjustments on it before they go out and race in the duels on Thursday night. So it's completely, um, totally crazy of what that happens. I mean, it was nice that um, that was in the post-race press conference from Alex Bowman that um, thanks to NASCAR.com, these audio is available. But I mean, I, if I'm Alex Bowman, I don't, I get the heck out of the way. I mean, if I can stay up front and hold it up front, I stay up there. But if I get shuffled back, I park it right away because you have practice on Saturday and Friday to get yourself ready for the 500. He's starting on the pole. I mean, you don't mess with a pole-sitting car, especially whenever there's a chance you can wreck it, go to the backup, then you're really behind the eight ball. I think there's a lot of people that don't know what the heck they got going with their cars. I think the 17 cars who ran in the uh, clash today have a slight advantage, but not much of one because they played follow the leader too damn much, so nobody really knows what they can do. 
Uh, 917-889-8280. Hill talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. Talking about Speed Weeks this weekend at Daytona International Speedway. Uh, we can talk about anything you want. Pole qualifying at Daytona. We're going to break down the Advanced Auto Parts Clash here in a little bit. But I think it's interesting for Bowman and Denny Hamlin. You know, you're in a spot where um, how how much do you want to worry about handling? You know, uh, even in practice, we saw some teams go out there and in single car make single car runs. And a lot, a couple of teams went out in practice, and we heard some drivers say. That's what you need to do here because we have so now we have limited practice times where you know we really want to get these cars handling well. It seems like this is a completely different racetrack, a completely different rule package now than what these drivers are used to. So they're going to want to get as much track time as possible. That is where I think this has changed the game a little bit. Uh, you know, I was here early in the week saying you might see teams pulled in in the 150 mile qualifying races, and you still may see teams do that if if they if they feel like their cars are handling really well, but. Um, Handling has become such an, a major issue, and, and who knows what's going to happen because it's a night race. I think these teams, if you ask them right now, if they wanted the, the Advanced Auto Parts Clash in the daytime, or excuse me, the, the Can-Am Duels in the daytime rather than the nighttime, they would say, absolutely, we want them in the, in the daytime to, to figure out what, how our cars are going to handle with Daytona 500. At night, the temperature changes, the track gets a little bit more grip because it's cooler out. Um, so, yeah, it might, you know, sure, having track time will help us, but it's not exactly what we're going to have at Daytona for the 500. So it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams play this out here. Um, and, again, I think Bowman and Hamlin are in an ideal spot. You know, you're not seeing any team where maybe it would be another situation where if a team was locked in based on their time, you might see teams say, you know, we don't want to tear up a race car, so we're going to pull it in. I think Greg Golding might see start and park this week. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams play it out. 917-889-8280, as I talked about, Daytona 500 qualifying, we got done discussing. Now we're talking about the advanced auto parts clash at Daytona, John, today was run. Uh, it was a 75-lap event, 25 laps, and a caution came out with 50 to go. Uh, one, one accident, two accidents, actually, one during the, the event, uh, and then one with one lap to go that included Jimmy Johnson, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr. was involved, Casey Kane, uh, Kurt Busch got a piece of it as well. Uh, and that, that came to, that was on a final lap. But one accident that really um, happened was, was Jamie McMurray on lap 43. He crashed at the outside wall. I talked about the instability of these race cars, and I think there's a lot of, um, especially with the, with the new Camaro teams, there's a lot of teams right now scratching their heads as far as how far they can push draft. We saw... Uh, Jimmy Johnson get pushed draft by Kyle Larson at the end of that race, and it caused a major, major fiasco, a huge wreck at the end. Uh, that 48 car went spinning, and it really didn't look like that big of a push draft. Yeah, he hit him pretty good, um, but it's on the straightaway. You would think that that would just give the 48 more speed, but with a pointier nose on that on those Chevrolets, I think that made that 48, uh, which was on the edge of out of control to begin with, out of control, took them and spun them out. Uh, are these Chevrolet teams going to have to really be careful with how they bump draft each other um, for the for the Can-Am duels on Thursday and, and the Daytona 500 next Sunday? I think so. I mean, you saw it. Johnson's always been one who loves a loose race car. And um, for some reason, it just didn't work for him. 
Um, he was struggling with a loose race car all day. He was, he wound up kept keeping himself up toward the front because I mean the whole set, almost the whole second half of the race. And Harvick talked about it in the post race, saying nobody expected everybody to run 40 laps nose to tail, but the Penske cars were going to stay one, two, three. They weren't getting out of line with anybody. And the minute you tried to make something happen, which Harvick kept trying to do from eighth, ninth, tenth place, you wound up losing the draft and getting back to the 14th, 15th spot. I mean, Harvick wound up, him and both Harvick and Ryan Newman lost the draft trying to make passes. And I'm telling you folks, that's not the kind of racing you want to see. You want to be able to see a car pull out, make a pass, use the horsepower they have instead of pulling out and having nobody there to push them. And they just go backwards. I mean, to me, that's not racing. To me, it's, um, it's a joke whenever you have to have somebody push you to go somewhere. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll tell you what, Kozlowski made some very interesting comments in victory lane. He led 43 laps, and, you know, as much as we say that wasn't passing, and they've been single file for, what, 35 laps of, of the 75 laps we witnessed in the advanced auto parts clash. Kozlowski started dead last. Um, but those Fords, before we get on, on uh, a rant about how the racing was, but those Fords are fast. They're in the older style body. Jeff Gordon pointed to this. They're in the older style body where they're – they were built on having a big spoiler. This gives them more less drag. They're faster in the draft. They're faster here at Daytona and Talladega. Now, I think where it's going to hurt this new, this old body is going to hurt Ford is when we get to Atlanta and we get into Las Vegas where aerodynamics play even a bigger role um, and downforce plays even a bigger role. But right now on these super speedways, these Fords are fast. And I've said this before. I wrote an article about this last year. Brad Keselowski is the best plate racer in, in NASCAR today. Dylan Hart Jr. is now retired. He was the only one to me that was even in the same uh, conversation as Brad Keselowski. But I think Keselowski is the best plate racer in NASCAR today. Worked his way up from 17th to 1st. He did it within 30 laps. He was amazing to watch how he came through the field. That guy can really, really drive a race car. Whatever you want to say about Brad Keselowski, that man is a race car driver. He, can, he is fantastic. But, you know, he made some very interesting comments at Victory Lane. He said, you know, I, I think with the way these cars were so unstable, everybody kind of got in line because they didn't want to get close to anybody. They didn't want to get close to each other because they were afraid they were going to ruin somebody's day. And at the end, when we saw some pushing and shoving going on and moving around things going on, they wrecked because the cars were so unstable. Now we have 150 miles on Thursday for each team uh, to figure it out and get their cars handling well. That's going to be a major, major uh 150 miles, because I think they can get these cars handling well in those 150 miles, it's going to be good they Daytona 500. But if they're still very unstable, you know, you could see a very different Daytona 500. Now, I think what we might see for Daytona is something where we used to see in the 90s, from 1990 to 1995 plate racing, where you see big packs in the beginning of the, of the, um, in the, beginning of the field, and now all of a sudden, you're going to see the really fast cars up front. You're going to see the cars that are handling decently in the, in the middle pack, and then you're going to see the cars in the back who don't handle very well in the back pack. We saw a lot of teams today lose the draft. You talk about Kevin Harvick. You talk about Ryan Newman. And sure, they were trying to make something happen at the end of that race, but they still lost the draft. Um, and it, their cars weren't handling that great. Harvick tried to get up there, really couldn't do a whole lot. I wasn't very impressed with what we saw from that four car. So – I just think we're going to see a very different Daytona 500 and a very different uh, 
can AM do a 150s here on Thursday? Without a doubt. I think the ride height deal is more than people expected. I mean, everybody was thinking, okay, we're going to kill the ride height, and they're just going to fly. Well, what they did, they killed the ride height and made it a lot more, a lot tougher to drive because at least it, with the ride height, you had uh, some stability on the back of your car because you were up and it wound up pushing the tail end down and you were working your springs to get yourself up and down. Now you can put it as low to the ground as you want and there's no travel. And I think the travel helps stabilize it. And when you've got it going down, I mean, you make one small mistake and you're screwed up in this thing. Um, I mean, Harvick, it's not like he didn't have the horsepower under the car either. I mean, Kurt Busch wound up finishing third with uh, a Stuart Haas car. I mean, you look, the first four cars were all Fords, all with Yates, uh, Roush Yates engines. Um, so it's not like Harvick didn't have the juice to get himself up there. I think it was just something they missed on the setup, and I think the slightest mistake on the setup here at Daytona this week, and you're looking at mid-pack. I agree with that. A team that really figured it out and that was really fast, I, thought, I talked about earlier, was Kozlowski. He came from the back of the pack, did a great job, and here's where his comments in victory lane after the Vance Auto Parts clash at Daytona International Speedway today. Last year we started first and didn't go our way, and uh, we were joking after the drawing. Um, Paul Wolf, you know, usually does the drawings, and didn't do it this year, and we got last. He said, well, look, this will be the year we win, and sure enough, here we are, Vince. Uh, it's a great way to start the season with the Miller Light Ford, and um, I'm happy for everyone on my team. This is the first time I've won anything in Speed Weeks. So I feel like I've choked them away, so uh, it's nice to not choke this one away, Vince, but uh, definitely a, a good day, and I'm really thankful for the team. Completely different package than what we've had here at Daytona ever before, so guys really had to show up with a way different car, and uh, that's a testament to everybody at, at Team Penske to work on it and, and do that, so uh, good day. Great start to, to Speed Weeks. Two more to go. And that was Kozlowski and Victor Lane, and, and you can hear how satisfied he was, courtesy of Fox Sports there. You can see how uh, satisfied he was to win here in Speed Weeks. Hard to believe that's his first Speed Weeks win here at Daytona because, like I said, he's such a great plate racer, and he just hasn't been able to put it all together in February. Wins the Advanced Auto Parts Clash. His teammate Joey Logano also talked to the media. He finished in a second spot. Uh, here were his comments after the Advanced Auto Parts Clash at Daytona today. I think uh, handling definitely came into play there. Uh, a lot of cars slipping and sliding, and the moves are hard to make because they're <laughs> out of control out there. Um, I'm amazed we didn't crash more than what we did, but um, what a day for Team Penske, all three of us up there. Uh, Shell Penzo Ford had um, you know, pretty good speed. It had uh, you know, decent handling as well, and we were able to make some moves there uh, at the end, but um, dang it, they crashed behind me. had a big run coming, and then didn't quite get it. And he's talking about the last lap crash. We'll dive into it in a little bit here. But I like the fact, John, that handling's back at Daytona. It used to be a, a major handling racetrack where, you know, when the track was worn, um, handling was a major issue here. And I, I think it's, it's getting back to that. Now, I felt that what we saw today needs a little bit more polish. Um, but I like the fact that Daytona has become a handling track now. Um, and, these crew chief, and I like the fact that these crew chiefs and these drivers, instead of taking three days off here, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and saying, ah, we'll worry about speed leaks. I think some of these teams now are going back to the drawing board and saying, what do we have to do to get our cars handling well? Because what we saw today and what happened today, um, we need to figure it out because we, what we are used to at Daytona is completely different now. We have to sort of go back to the drawing board with our setup and figure it all out. So um, I think they're using these three days. Sure, they're back at the shop and looking at their Atlanta and Las Vegas notes, 
but they're allotting, I think, a lot more time to the Daytona 500 car now because in recent years, it used to be, well, you, you kind of got what you got here at Daytona, and then you run the race. Here, it's going to be about handling, and I like that. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of simulation going on Monday and Tuesday uh, to try to figure out what they're going to use for their um, setups for Thursday with the duels and be ready for Friday and Saturday when they actually have practice again. Um, one of the things when you said about Kozlowski, I think being the best plate racer out there right now, there is really not much argument to it. I mean, he's right there. Logano's right there. Uh, Harvick ends up being up there. Uh, Ryan Blaney showed he's a pretty good little plate racer today. He, t- he made one move late in the race, the last lap to try to get himself up toward the front and started drifting back and everybody piled up behind him. So he was able to get back in behind Kurt Busch and finish fourth. But as you look at the way Keselowski does it, I think one of the things he's best at, he is really great at leading the race. He gets himself up there, but once he gets up there in the lead, he's the guy who's perfect when it comes to managing the draft. He will shift lanes back and forth. When he feels the run coming, he will go down to the lane that's got the biggest run, or he'll go up to the top groove where where he can stop a run coming. I think he's phenomenal at leading whenever you see him at Daytona. Absolutely, and and let me tell you, right now, he's my favorite to win the Daytona 500. I know I came... I believe last week or two weeks ago when we made our predictions for the Daytona 500, I was going with Kyle Larson. And I tell you, one day – I know it's one day at Daytona, and it's like uh, you're making a big deal out of one day. But I was not impressed with those Chip Ganassi cars today. Um, McMurray's a a good plate racer too. He didn't look like his car was handling very good. Uh, The 42 was all over the place today. And that last crash was was evidence of that. You know, um, just pushing the 48 there on that last lap, Chase Elliott, we saw some good things from him and Hendrick Motorsports, but are you concerned at all about these Camaros, John? Uh, you know, with the push drafting, which how, with how they're drafting, they've, they've shown some raw speed. We see Bowman on the pole. We saw a lot of Chevrolets up front today in qualifying. They have the raw speed, but what about drafting here? Are they going to have to change their setups a little bit to, to kind of stabilize these Chevrolets because they looked out of control today? I actually think uh, Chevy will be fine. I don't think they'll be great at Daytona because it's a whole new uh, car, first time out in the track on a super speedway. I think they showed today they're not that great in the draft. And, I mean, Larson, he was pushing Johnson on the straightaway and couldn't keep his car straight. And that shows you how wild that car is right now. Um, They've got some work to do. I think by the time we go to Talladega for the next plate track, I think Chevys will be in line. But the one thing I think Chevy built that car for, I think they built it for the intermediate tracks because that's the bread and butter of this, this series. If you can run on the mile and a half, if you can run on the two miles, you're going to do phenomenal. And I think that's what Chevy built that car for. They look at it, these four restrictor plate races, they're opportunities to get you into the playoffs, except for the fall Talladega race where it's an opportunity to get the playoffs. But reality is just four out of 36 races. Yeah, and I'll tell you another interesting thing about this Advanced Auto Parts Clash was the first time we saw the five-man pit crew. Um, And it was strange. I think you saw a lot of teams come down, and and we saw a lot of two-tire changes today and just gas, and and we didn't see the standard four-tire pit stop that we normally see uh, everywhere else in NASCAR. But what did you think about it? I mean, obviously it's only a small, small sample size here, Pit stops were, you could tell the speed was way down, even for a two-tire, four-tire stops. I think we're five seconds behind than what they normally are. 
Um, what did you think about um, about these this five man pit crew? Do you like do you like the idea now that you've seen it in action? Uh, as I said, whenever they announce it, it's going to be a mess when you put all forty of them out there. I mean, you look, the fastest pit stop last year in the 500 was Chase Elliott. They ran did an 11.8 during the Daytona 500 for a four-tire stop. The fastest pit stop today in the Advanced Auto Parts Clash was Jimmy Johnson, and they ran a 16.8. So, you're like you said, five-second difference. Five seconds on the track is a hell of a lot of distance. And I don't see – and you only had 17 cars there. So – you had plenty of room to where you could get your tire carrier ter- carrying two tires out there, making sure everything gets done the way it's supposed to. I just see a mess coming. I see tires flying all over the place. I see tires being dropped. I see um, loose wheels. All I mean, I'm not saying loose wheels, but the tires will escape and there's going to be penalties out the yin yang and NASCAR about mid season is going to go, Whoa, we might've made a big mistake on this one. It's going to be interesting. Again, we talked about it before where um, it's those subtle changes that we made in NASCAR this year that I don't think a lot of people expected um, to have a big impact. That's one of those that I think is going to have a a big impact. I think we're going to see some changes uh, for the Daytona 500. Uh, We're going to see some some tires get get lost for sure. Um, And I think the big thing is that the gas man can't make adjustments. You know, if you're going to have – you didn't have to worry about handling these guys. Somebody, either the, the tire carrier or the jack man is going to have to make, you know, a sway bar adjustment or put some wedge in the car because the gas man can't do that now. Um, like he might, might've been able to assist. So now you have four guys out there aside from the gas man. And one of them has to make adjustments to the race car. So I think that's something that uh, when you look at, it, you say, that could have a bigger impact on what people think because handling is going to be such a big issue. Um, and you need to, to, to drill these guys in these brains and say, listen, here's what you do with this adjustment. Here's where you turn for this adjustment. So I think it could be a little bit getting used to. Um, and maybe that's something that these teams haven't really ironed out 100% yet. And it's something to keep an eye on for the Daytona 500. What else did you see, John, that caught your attention in the advanced auto parts clash today? Um, other than boredom? Not a whole hell of a lot. I mean, and it was funny as Harvick was talking about, I mean, no, Kyle Busch was talking about it after the race. He said more people were willing to mix it up in the first 25 laps than they were in the final 50. He said it was almost like the race was backwards because you want to mix it up toward the end because everybody's trying to win. And nobody made a move until the final lap when Ryan Blaney tried to and couldn't go anywhere. And he went going backwards, and then you had a push from uh, Larson to Johnson trying to get him up there, and that wound up putting Johnson in the wall and taking a few other really good cars out with it. So, I mean, I'm expecting a mess on Thursday. I'm expecting a mess on Sunday, and I can't wait till we get to Atlanta because we all know my love of restrictor plate racing. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. Clayton Coldwell, John Harler here with you tonight on Talking in Circles. Also. The Lucas Oil 200 this weekend, John, at Daytona International Speedway. Michael Self went to victory lane in the Arca race. And you talk about a crash field event. Oh, my goodness gracious. And let's, I want to talk about this before we talk about the race itself. I want to get your opinion on this. The Arca rule as you have to finish under the green flag. Um, 
listen, it's a rule that I understand why it's in place because there's a lot of fans out there who really love this rule. I was on social media all weekend this weekend and yesterday when this whole ARCA race was going on and people saying we need NASCAR to adapt this rule, that we have to finish under the green flag no matter what. I think it's craziness. And what we saw yesterday at that ARCA race was absolute ridiculousness. I mean, it turned into, and no disrespect to Michael Self, but he basically admitted it in Victor Lane. Listen, we got lucky. You know, um, we, were, we, did, we went through all the crashes, and everybody else was kind of crashed out and won. It took about an hour to complete one final lap in that race because of all the wrecks and how long it took to clean up the, the, the wrecks and the red flags. Was it really worth it? I mean, Michael Self won by like a second and a half in one lap. I mean, there was nobody left that, was, that had any speed left because either their cars were damaged or they just kind of were so slow they weren't anywhere near the wrecks and they salvaged a decent day out of it. Um, I just think that rule is ridiculous. People want that and that want NASCAR to adapt it, which I think is absolutely insanity, in my opinion, because eventually these races have to come to an end, whether these people like it or not. And, uh, you know, I just think 15 attempts to finish a race is stupid. And last night what we saw was ridiculousness. You know, you're, you're trying to save these teams money in ARCA with the Elmore engine, with the composite bodies, and everything they got in place to save these teams money. And they're going out there and trying to finish this race in the green and literally waiting until basically every car wrecks. I thought it was insanity last night, John. Well, I, I think there's a big difference between the ARCA series and the Cup series if they were to put this rule into the Cup series. I think the ARCA series is there's a bunch of people in there who drive it over their heads. There are people who are out there who probably have no business being out there except that they were able to buy themselves a ride and they're going to run like hell and try to do everything they can. Um, you see a lot of this in the ARCA race. Every year at Daytona, there's a couple of really dumb pileups that happen in the ARCA race that have no business happening. When you look at the Cup Series, there are enough guys out there who are smart enough that aren't going to put their car in a position that they know they can't come out of it. And I think the, if you think about it, most everybody grew up, started short track racing, working their way up to the, working their up to the big time. Every short track I've ever been to final laps under green. Um, there is no finishing under caution anywhere other than the cup. Everybody else, they finish under green. And I'm a firm believer. I, I paid money to see a race. I want to see somebody race to the victory, not follow the pace car. And if it takes one attempt, if it takes five attempts, to me, it's worth it because I paid that much money to go see these races or I'm paying the watch. I mean, I'm paying a cable bill to be able to get it on TV because half the damn races aren't on real TV, regular TV anymore. So you have to pay a big cable bill to be able to get half of these races. If I'm paying that, I want to see somebody win under green. I want to see them going full speed across the finish line. If they take out half the field, I'm sorry. I want to see them. I want to see somebody race to victory, not follow the pace car. And I know this is, is one of the really ones that did we disagree night? on hugely. Go ahead, Clay. Is that really what they did last night, though, what was I mean, did we really have to wait an hour for, to see what we saw last night in that ARCA race? I'm sorry. 
to me, there has to be an end. I like what NASCAR does, where if the leader takes a, takes a white, the next flag ends it. You know, if if you got a lead in the ARCA series at ne- their next race is Nashville, or, or or even in a dirt track race, you're telling me if if the, if somebody in a 50 lap feature has led 49 laps and he's coming off a of turn four, and somebody wrecks behind him, they're gonna restart that race. I have a big problem with that. I know who won the race. I know what. Just because I want to see him at speed go across the start-finish line, I think it's stupid. If you take the white flag, to me, it's over. Now, here's my, my whole take to this, and a lot of people are going to disagree with this, and I, don't, I think you probably will. Let him race back to the caution flag. I mean, I, we've had so many good finishes in past history when NASCAR used to race back to the caution flag. Think of the 1998 Daytona 500. This, the, when, when Robert Presley got spun out in the back straightaway, the anticipation of watching Dale Earnhardt, who was on the back straightaway, coming to get to, get to the, white, the white and the caution flag, knowing that was going to be the end of the race. And we're sitting there going, is he going to win it? Is he going to win it? Is he going to win it? It was incredible. You had Bobby Labonte and, and Jeremy Mayfield fighting for position, trying to figure out where they were going to finish. It was incredible. That race today would have ended under caution. And that stinks because a lot of fans would have sat there and said, eh, or we had a green-white checkered where, who knows, maybe Earnhardt gets taken out after running a brilliant race for 499 miles or for 495 miles, runs a brilliant race, and some idiot on a restart checks, has a bad restart and takes out half the field, and somebody's having a great run, their race is destroyed because of that, because we have to make sure these cars finish under speed. It's what, to me, that's insane to have that mentality that I have to see the cars run across the start-finish line at speed. I just watched him run 495 laps under green. Is it really going to make a difference to watch him run another five miles under speed, especially something like last night where that finish wasn't even close? Yeah, we saw him run under speed, but whoop de do it was a tw- 12-car. I mean, if you gave Michael Self four more laps at the end of that race, he probably would have lap- started lapping people. That's how completely uh, ahead of everybody he was. And listen, I'm all for trying to finish these races under, cost- under green. As, as much as possible. The one attempt at a green-white checkered, I thought three was craziness. But to me, uh, unlimited attempts is absolutely outrageous. I think the ARCA series at Daytona, they have no business doing that. ARCA series at some small track in the Midwest, yeah, do that. Not a big deal because they're not piling up 15 cars and taking a red flag for 15 minutes to pull the records out to get all the cars out of the infield. It's a big difference between Daytona and a smaller track. Um, I'm, I'm with the three for uh, the cup series to go after it. I'm not against overtime. Um, I'm still a firm believer in I pay for racing. I want to see racing. Um, yeah. I was when Daytona when uh, Earnhardt won the race in 98, that was great that he they raced him back to the the caution flag with one to go. I still would have liked to have seen them race the extra fi- the final lap. I would have liked to have seen them go green white checker again, especially at Daytona because it takes you the two laps to get up to speed. I would like to see the race for, finish under green. When you pay for a football ticket, you go to New England Patriots game. Are they going to sit there? And you, when you pay for the football ticket, you pay all the money you pay, which is way more than what you see in a NASCAR race way more than what you pay the dirt track race, a local dirt track race, and they run off the last 30 seconds of the field 
by taking a you know a team takes a knee and they run off the last thirty seconds. Are you sitting there going, oh, I paid for those last thirty seconds. I gotta see these teams play as hard as they possibly can up until the last. Se-. No, they, nobody cares because the race the game is over. That's basically what you see with these race with with these races where if a guy's got a huge lead, are we really gonna sit there and cry because we didn't see the cars run at speed? I just you know to me again, and I grew up in a different era where we ran back to the caution flag, and maybe that's where I looked at it and said. Well, that's why I don't have a, a bitter taste in my mouth with this because we ran back to the caution flag. And I think that is something that um, will never happen again. I'm living in La La Land when I still would love to see these teams and NASCAR adapt racing back to the stripe again. But there was so much excitement in that. You know, think of the 1976 Daytona 500. That race, when Richard Petty and David Pearson crashed, that would have been under caution. They would have ended that race under caution with Pearson and Petty sitting in the grass. 1979, they would end that race under caution, sitting in the grass because of um, you know the accident between Donnie Allison and Kale Yarbrough. If we never raced back to the yellow flag, just think of how history would have changed. How those great iconic Daytona 500s would have changed if we never raced back to the caution flag. That to me is where we're depriving our fans. It doesn't matter that we have to see these races finish under the green flag conditions and unlimited attempts. I mean, again, how many accidents can we see? If a driver leads 495 laps at a short track and he's coming off a of turn four and sees the checkered flag in the air and a, caution, and a wreck happens a half a lap behind him and he's got to start that race, to me, that's wrong. When does integrity, when do we sit there and say, you know what, we need to have some integrity here? To me, that is what we need to look at. And that is what um, I have a big problem with. 917-889-8280, Lee from Virginia calling here tonight. Lee, what do you got on your mind tonight? I think there's a lot that I got on my mind tonight, guys. I bet. Um, you know, John, I know you're just staying for super speedway racing, and you're right. But, you know, I heard a lot of people today on, on Sirius XM's post-race show, um, Brad Gillard was talking about it, and he was like, hey, you know, we need to be able to where these guys can race at the end. Well, I'm not blaming the package. I think the package was good. These guys raced early on in that, in that race. I think two things happened. One, the teammates got together. And if you saw – if you saw anything uh, they were talking about with the Penske cars, Penske was looking to get a win for Penske. They weren't looking to get a win for Ryan Blaney or for Joey Logano. They were looking to get a win for Penske. And once the Penske cars got together, they said, you know what, we're not going to pass each other. We're just going to get Penske the win. And I hope that doesn't happen in the Daytona 500 because if I'm Ryan Blaney, how do I walk up to, to, to John Menard and say, hey, listen, I, uh, you know, I pushed my, my teammate to the win in the Daytona 500. But Maybe because it was the uh, the bush the, the the clash, I think that was a big thing that happened. The teammates got together and said, "We're not going to pass anybody." But I also think these guys sort of have a mentality of, um, you know, we can make these runs here with with a lap or two laps to go. As much as I say this all the time, other than maybe Jimmy Johnson and a couple of these other older guys, most of these drivers came up in the tandem racing, super speedway racing, and they think that they can make these runs with one lap to go, and you can't. You know, it, it takes you four or five, six laps to build this up and go forward. And to me, uh, you know, I was very disappointed in the way they approached the end of this race. You know, the only guy who got on the line and tried to make it work is somebody who I always, always hate on and, and despise, but I give him credit for, and that was Austin Dillon. Because Austin got out of line and was like, you know what, we're going to try and win this thing. We're going to try and win this thing. His teammate was basically useless in Ryan Newman. But, I mean, he tried. And nobody else wanted to get out of line. I was very disappointed in seeing that. But I think a lot of it had to do with, 
A, these guys were waiting to make their moves and said, oh, you know what, we're just going to sit here and try and make them with one to go, and B, the teammates were together. And they said, you know what, we're not going to pass each other. We're just going to sit here and hold up the line. And I hope that doesn't happen on Sunday because if it does, we could be in for a very boring show like we saw for, you know, a good portion of that race where they ran single file. Yeah, you're right, Lee. Uh, Jeremy Bullens even admitted it on the post-race show with Claire B. this evening on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. He said, uh, we were looking to get a win for Team Penske. And whenever they knew that somebody from Team Penske was going to win that race is when Ryan Blaney pulled out a line. So he knew that it was either going to be Brad or Joey. He pulled out a line trying to make a move to make it him. And he went he went backwards like a like a dump truck. And it guaranteed Penske the win, but at least, I mean, one of the things he did, he tried it. It was late. It was once they knew that the team was going to win, but he did get out of line and try it. I think that's one of the things that we're going to look at as a problem coming forward. I mean, you look going forward, the Gibbs cars are going to get together. The uh, Stuart Haas cars are going to get together. The Penske cars are going to get together. I mean, that's one of the things where you have with the four cars you can have together as a team. And I look at Paul Menard as a fourth Penske car. I mean, you've got these four-car teams that are going to go boom, 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 and we're going to stick together. We're going to try to do it as a group. And who's who's going to be the main man and whoever's in front at the time? It just makes it a mess to where you're looking organization instead of your individual team first. This is one. And then backup driver. This is supposed to be independent four teams that happen to be under the same roof where you're driving for your sponsor, your team, not for the organization as a whole. And today they drove for the organization as a whole. You're right. And that's that where it was an exhibition race and not because it's the Daytona 500 where, you know, in the Daytona 500, if I'm Ryan Blaney, he's got to understand that that opportunity to win that race doesn't come up very much. So you better go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping when we see on Sunday is with all 40 cars out there in a pack, and obviously there's about 30 to 25 that can win probably this weekend at Daytona. Um, when there's more cars in that pack, that'll be harder to find teammates. And at the end of the race, when, when it comes push to shove, you know, you're going to go with the fast cars. Um, we've seen that in the past, but teammates were essential today, no doubt about it. And I think if you had one, you were good. I, listen, that three cars, you were talking about Austin Dillon, Lee. I agree with you. I think Austin Dillon really ran a good race. Um, he was, I thought he was very fast. That three-car even showed fa- uh, speed in, in uh, qualifying. You know, and his teammates weren't very good, but he was fast, and I thought he was uh, very good, and he made some decent moves there at the end of that race. So, um, he, But he didn't have a teammate at the end, and that hurt him. And I think uh, that is going to be essential. That was essential today, but I hope at the end, when push comes to shove, and when certain cars are handling better than others, these teams are, and these drivers are going to go, you know, we have to win the Daytona 500, and we have to, um, you know, utilize who's there. And if our teammates are, are struggling with their handling and our teammates aren't there, oh, well. But I like what you talked about before, Lee, and I want to dive into that a little bit, where these, teams, these drivers and teams can't wait to the last lap. If you're in eighth or ninth spot, you know, especially in today's race, you have to try out and get out of line. Now, Harvick lost the draft. He was about 13th trying to get out and do something. I don't understand why these drivers who are in 7th and 8th stay in the, in the top lane the entire time and not try and make something work. When you see Kevin Harvick going low, who's got Rash uh, Yates horsepower in that four car, 
What are you doing just sitting there with four to go, and you're in eighth spot? You're not going to go anywhere. Nothing ever ha- good happens there. they got to change the mentality here and say, you know what? Yeah, it's the bottom lane. I thought the bottom lane was fine today. Um, yeah, it's the bottom lane. Yeah, it's not where we want to be, but the only way we can win this race is to, is to move down and, and make it happen earlier. And I think um, every it's a learning curve as, as speed links will go on, and hopefully we'll see these teams and these drivers making uh, more their moves a little bit earlier as the race goes on. Uh, what else did you see today, Lee, that you liked or you didn't like? Well, I, I was a little bit alarmed by the just the whole day from the 78 car. I know that I don't put much stock in the single car runs, but I know for a fact that Cole Pern was walking around there, shaking his head, looked like he looked a little lost at times, you know, just wasn't too thrilled with how the day went. And I'm talking about even the Daytona 500 qualifying where they were really slow. And I think he's a little bit concerned about what's going on. You got to wonder if maybe the hose is being stepped on by the Gibbs cars because they didn't like getting beat by their satellite team last year. If not having the 77 is affecting them that much, or just this new um, package here in Daytona, storm a little bit of a curveball. I mean, there's guys, they're using the driver adjustable track bar here now at Daytona and Talladega, and I think the drivers who know how to utilize that more will probably be using it a lot better. Maybe Truex doesn't really know how to utilize that well. I don't know, because he's he kicked everybody's tail in the last couple of years on the intermediate tracks, but... For some reason, they seemed really off today, and they didn't seem like they were too happy with where they were. They're going to go back to the drawing board. I thought what you said, Clayton, with these teams, they have three days now, almost four days, to kind of break it down and decipher, and they're not going to be able to figure out what's going on on Thursday. You know, I think Thursday they're going to be running for uh, those stage points, and that's about it because the conditions aren't going to be anywhere near what they're going to be on race day on Sunday. And I think these guys are just going to be going for stage points and looking to see, okay, well, Let's see if we can get this car to draft. And the Chevrolets, I think Jeff Gordon made a good point with the pointy nose. Hey, if they can't bump draft, they're going to be in some trouble. Now, as we saw in the ARCA race yesterday, don't bump draft in the center of the corner, but teams were doing that, so we'll see. Yeah, without a doubt, Lee, I think that pointy nose on the Camaro is going to make a difference. Uh, I think it's going to be great when they hit the intermediates and the two-mile tracks, but I think on the super speedways, it's not going to really be much much help at all to the Chevys. Um, and it was weird. I mean, like like we all said, uh, starting the show, and you brought up again, it's the first time in I can't tell you how long I've seen Cole Pern look confused. It was like – Cole Pern to me was like Ray Evernham. You never saw him confused. He always had a plan. Even if they were running like crap, there was something he could learn from it. I think – Learning today was one of the biggest keys. I think Cole Pern's going to learn what they did today, what they didn't do today. They'll go back to the simulator, try to figure out what the heck will make it better, and they'll come down Thursday, like you said, run for stage points and all that stuff. But then Friday and Saturday when they practice and they can make adjustments on what it's going to be like in the daytime on Sunday for the 500, I think Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr. will be a team you watch out for on Sunday as well. The one thing I think uh, on the learning part of it, Ryan Blaney came out on the last lap and tried to make a pass. I think he knows that he can't do that on the last lap now. I think he'll probably do it with two, three to go and take his chance. If he's going to finish first, he finishes first. If he finishes 25th, he's going to finish 25th. But like you said, there's only a very few people who have won the Daytona 500. And there's some serious legends of this sport who have come close but have never gotten that um, – Harley J. Earl Trophy. Rusty Wallace doesn't have it. Mark Martin doesn't have it. Tony Stewart doesn't have it. 
Those are three bona fide Hall of Two of them are in the Hall of Fame. One's going in who've been phenomenal in their career, but never saw the Daytona 500 trophy go to their house. I think people are going to adjust. I mean, you've seen some people will do almost anything to win a Daytona 500. I think those guys are going to, they, they're learned from today. And I don't see us playing follow the leader for 50 laps at the Daytona 500. I hope not. I hope they'll be able to gain valuable stage, stage points and playoff points. And I know everybody knows they got their brains beat in last year by the 78 with playoff points. And they do not want that to happen again this year. They're going to all battle for as many playoff points as they can. I think that's key. You know, and the duels don't have that. So I think duels might be a little bit guess and check. Another thing, guys, that we didn't discuss is, you know, these cars are impounded until Thursday night. Um, So if you – let's say they do go to the drawing board, these teams, and say, here's what we got to do. Here's what we want to work on. They can't make those adjustments until the pit stops on Thursday. Um, Well, then you know what what that means? Unimproved adjustments, teams adjustments. are going to go to the back. They better put their adjustments in their backup cars, because that's what that means. Because they're going to be losing a lot <laughs> of inventory on Thursday night. Yeah, yeah or, I think or, a, lot of, know, the, if, a lot of the stuff they're going to learn this week while they're back at the simulators adjusting their game plan won't go into the car on Thursday night. It's going to go in Friday and Saturday when they practice again in the daytime. In their back yeah, and that's going to be the interesting. Because those practices, usually on Friday and Saturday, are very, very boring. You know, that you see maybe... Sometimes you see only nine, ten cars out there turning laps, and they're just seeing, making sure everything's, you know, uh, tight. Basically, making sure the bolts, every bolt is tight, and there's an hour of, of really non-activity at the racetrack. I think those last two practice sessions at Daytona are going to be very, very interesting. I think you're going you're to utilize them a lot, and uh, you know, with the way impound is going, with the way these cars are impounded, it's going to be very interesting to see what those two, how important those two practices are and what goes on for the Daytona 500. Because, like I said, it's an impound race. There's only so much you can do on the pit stops. Those teams will sit there and go, we'll take our unimproved adjustments and move to the back and just get our cars handling better. Uh, you might see that, too, as well. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. the lead. What do you think about uh, what we were talking about earlier about the red flags, you know, um, ending these races under the green flag condition? Uh, do you agree with John? Him and I are sort of on different, you know, uh, different opinions on this where he thinks, you know, it's okay to run until, no, I, I, you, until I you finish under green. I was listening. I kind of agree with both of you. If that, if that doesn't make any sense, listen, <laughs> I think Clayton, the point you made was, I think the point you were trying to make was doing that on a super speedway is to me, the most asinine thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, and I listen, I've been watching NASCAR my whole life. I've seen a lot of asinine things. That was basically the most asinine thing I've seen in my entire life last night. Sitting there, letting them clean up speedy drive for an hour to go one lap at a super speedway where the cars aren't even up to speed yet, uh, to me, is foolish. And and you need to make a rule at the super speedway. It's a separate rule. There's separate rules at all kinds of different racetracks. You can't go below the yellow line at Daytona and Talladega only. Um, and, 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 and Ricky Stenhouse got by, by, by that today, which I thought was an awful call by NASCAR. But um, um, you've got to Steve change O'Donnell that on a super that. speedway. What did you say? Junior and Steve O'Donnell got into a Twitter battle about that. Well, Dale Jr., uh, good thing he, Steve O'Donnell wasn't running NASCAR when Dale Jr. went below the yellow line four or five different times and didn't get called. But um, that's another story for another day. But they shouldn't be doing those those – at the super speedways, they should not be doing a single car, a single lap green flag 
at super speedways. It's just not the style of racing you should be doing it for. And if you want to do it at, you know, um, the, the track that they run, you know, any other track that they run, don't do it at super speedways and don't do it at road courses because one lap could be three hours at a road course. Don't do it at those two tracks. Give them a size and say anything a mile or less, we're going to do this at. Anything over a mile, we're going to do this at. And that's just the way it's going to roll, and that's the way you got to do it. Because what we saw yesterday cannot happen. Because you know what's going to happen? Fox Sports 1 is going to say, we don't want to air that race because you're, you're, it's taking too long to go into our other coverage to run one freaking lap. That is stupid. And I don't care what you say. That is very, very important. Those ARCA races need to be on Fox Sports 1. I think it's an entertaining race. But if you're going to do that, Fox Sports 1 is just going to say, screw it. We're not going to buy it next year. Yeah. And I'm with you, and, Lee. I don't disagree with that. I think on the super speedways, there needs to be maybe one shot at it, but it's got to be green-white checker because you can't get up to full speed in one lap on a super speedway. The ARCA series, I mean, I'm, I always get nervous when they run the super speedways anyhow because there's a lot of those people who drive the ARCA cars who are in over their heads on a super speedway. There's a lot of people who drive ARCA cars that shouldn't be driving street cars, but that's another story for another day. Right. All right. Well, Lee, I tell you what, uh, great call again tonight. You're always uh, a pleasure to, to listen to and, to and to give your insight and call back again next time, okay? Will do. Lee, who do you got in Thank the 500? You, Lee. Oh, I, I, uh, Lee hung up here. I forgot uh, before, before we can give us our Daytona 500 pick, we'll have to ask him. It's the total 500 pick on Wednesday if he calls in. Um, yeah, no, uh, I think when – and Lee, Lee just texted me. He said Jimmy Johnson is the total 500 pick. Interesting pick considering, um, you know, Jimmy and how that 48 car ran today in, in the uh, advanced auto parts clash. I thought, you know, a little bit disappointing from the Chevrolet teams. I thought Chase ran a great race, you know, uh, especially in the early part and the middle part of that race. Chase Elliott was fast. He was probably the second fastest car there other than Kozlowski. So I think that's encouraging if you're a Chevrolet team, but um, the push drafting I think is an issue and, and something they're going to have to figure out for sure. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't bet against Chad and Jimmy whenever they got four days to go, act, go back to the drawing board and figure things out. I mean, they know what happened in the in the shootout or the clash. They also know the difference between that clash car and their 500 car. I bet there is a difference. And they'll know the technology that goes into it. They'll do some simulation. They'll be able to make adjustments on Friday and Saturday. And I think Friday and Saturday's practices are going to be the most interesting Friday and Saturday practice we've had in Daytona in 25 years. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And I remember it's funny because there's no need to go before the Xfinity race. And, you know, one car, and they were interviewing only a few drivers because that was all that were out there. Um, I think this Saturday, this Friday and Saturday, these practice sessions will be wild. And, and weather teams, you know, how they go about that with the, with the new engine, one-engine rule, which is kind of taking a back seat now all of a sudden because the handling issues are so crazy. Um, with the new one-engine rule, I think that's going to be, you know, how our team's going to keep the miles off their engines. Um, it's going to be pretty cool to see how that uh, – how that happens here at the tone of this I week. Think it's be interesting oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we'll talk, definitely talk more about that on Wednesday. We'll talk about, hopefully there'll be a, um, a solution to the problem at BK racing Xfinity and truck series entry list. Hopefully we'll be out for Daytona as well as we get prepared for the second half of NASCAR speed weeks at Daytona national speedway. We'll see you Wednesday night on talking circles. Good night, everybody.